So let's move on to the lesson and we will do the tafsir of the following ayat. Are you ready? A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Alif lam mim. What are these letters? Huruful muqatta'at. Do they have a meaning? A literal meaning? No. Then why are they there in the Quran? What's the purpose? Exactly. These huruf are there to show, to prove the miraculous nature of the Quran. That these huruf people use all the time. People utter these sounds, these letters all the time, but they cannot produce anything that is similar to the Quran. That is a book. Which book? The Quran. What's the characteristic of this book? There is no doubt in it. What does it mean by that? There is no doubt in this book. Yes, there is no doubt in the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who revealed it. What other doubt could there possibly be in the mind of the listener? Okay, that there is some falsehood in it, there are some faults in this book. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لا ريب فيه, There is no doubt in it, meaning there is nothing doubtful in this book. So in other words, every statement, every word of this book is true. It is factual, it is 100% true. So tell me something, do you need a study or a research or a scientific theory or something like that, a discovery to prove what's mentioned in the Quran? Do you need it? You don't need it. Because many times we think that, oh, you know, this is mentioned in the Quran. Does the science prove that? Is there any evidence for that? We don't need any scientific evidence. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said something, what is it? It's a hundred percent true. So whether science supports what's mentioned in the Quran or not, what are we to do? Believe it, accept it as a hundred percent true and beneficial. So la rayba fihi, muttaqeen, a guidance for who? Those people who have taqwa. Does the Qur'an only give information? Does the Qur'an only give knowledge? No. The Qur'an, yes, it gives knowledge, but along with that, it's also a source of guidance for mankind. And especially who? Who is it that takes guidance from this book? Those people who have taqwa. Now, what's the literal meaning of the word taqwa? To take a shield. Why would you take a shield? To protect yourself, to save yourself. Okay, so this was the literal meaning that taqwa is to take shield, to protect yourself. And what's the technical meaning? The technical meaning of the word taqwa? Technically means, you have written this definition down, I just want you to know the difference between the literal and the technical. Alright, because from now on, I'll be using these terms a lot. The literal meaning of this word is such and such, and the technical meaning of this word is such and such. So the literal meaning of taqwa is to take shield, to protect oneself. Technical meaning, to protect oneself from the punishment of Allah. How? By doing what he has commanded and staying away from what he has forbidden. Because only then can a person save himself from the punishment of Allah. So taqwa is to live a very conscious life, a very careful life. Now tell me, what are some of the benefits of taqwa? Taqwa is the key to knowledge and taqwa is also the key to action. So therefore taqwa is the way to success. And taqwa is what makes a person live a meaningful, purposeful life. This is what makes a person careful in whatever he does, how he behaves, what he says, what he listens to. So he's living a life of purpose. He's not living a life that is aimless. He's not following his desires. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that book, la rayba fihi, there's no doubt in it. Hudal lil muttaqeen, it's a guide for those people who have taqwa. In the following ayat, we learn about the characteristics of the person who has taqwa. 
So far we have only learned what the word taqwa means. Now in the following ayat we will be learning about the characteristics of people who have taqwa. What does it mean to have taqwa? If a person says, I want to have taqwa, then what should they do? How can a person increase in their taqwa? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us. First of all, الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ Those people who believe in the unseen. Secondly, وَيُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَاةَ And they establish the salah. Thirdly, وَمِمَّا رَزَقْنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ And out of what we have provided them, they spend. Fourth characteristic, وَالَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْكَ And those people who believe in what we have revealed to you. The fifth characteristic, وَمَا أُنزِلَ مِنْ قَبْلِكَ And they also believe in what was revealed before you. And the sixth characteristic, وَبِالْآخِرَةِ هُمْ يُقِنُونَ They believe in the hereafter with conviction. So six characteristics of the muttaqeen are mentioned over here. As we study these characteristics, what are we to do? Analyze ourselves in the light of these traits and also plan that what do I need to do? What do I have to do? Because until and unless a person has these qualities, he will not have taqwa. And if a person does not have taqwa, can he benefit from the Qur'an? He cannot benefit from the Qur'an. So if we want to benefit from the Qur'an, we have to focus on these qualities. Alright? The first quality of the muttaqin is what? That they believe in the unseen. الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ يُؤْمِنُونَ is from the root letters Hamza, Meem, Noon. Hamza, Meem, Noon. And يُؤْمِنُونَ is from the word Iman. What does Iman mean? Faith, belief. I told you the root letters are Hamza, Meem, Noon. From the same root is the word aman. Aman means security, safety. Do you think there's a connection between faith and security? Iman and being safe? What's the connection? That if a person has iman, he is safe, for example, from going astray. What else? Safe from hellfire, from punishment. That's the main connection between iman and aman. And also you see, iman, it brings peace to a person. Why? How? That when a person is going through some difficulties, going through some trial, if he has iman, strong faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then what's going to happen? He will think, Allah knows what I'm going through. Whatever is happening, is happening for a reason. There is some wisdom behind it. So if a person is comforted at times of difficulty because of the iman that he has. And when a person doesn't have faith, then he becomes upset and angry. What did I do to ever face this? What did I do to ever feel like this? This is not fair. So iman brings aman in this dunya and also in the hereafter. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says over here, الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ Now, literally, aman, iman means faith. What is the technical definition of iman? Iman technically is tasdiq ma'al qubul wal idhan. What were these words? I'll explain them to you. Tasdiq. Tasdiq is to affirm the truthfulness of something. When you affirm the truthfulness of something, you believe that it is a fact. You believe that it's 100% true. So for example, a person says, I believe in Allah. What does it mean? He affirms the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The truthfulness of His existence. He affirms that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
is there, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the qualities that He describes Himself with. Similarly, He believes that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the Rabb, He is the Malik, He is the Khaliq. Alright? So tasdeeq, to affirm the truthfulness of something. But is that what faith is all about? No. After tasdeeq comes qubool. Qubool is to accept it as well. For example, we see that there are many people who say that yes, the Prophet ﷺ was a very wise man, he was a very intelligent man, the most successful person. You may have come across many articles, many books even by authors who are not Muslim. But what do they acknowledge? The greatness of the Prophet ﷺ. They acknowledge it, but do they accept it in the sense that they say, yes, we believe in him as a messenger? Do they? Not necessarily. There are many people who have written even books about the Prophet ﷺ, but they don't accept him as a messenger. Iman is not just about saying, yes, this is true. Iman is about, yes, this is true, and I accept it. And thirdly, Iman also includes Idhan. Idhan is submission. What does it mean by this submission? That whatever your faith requires you to do, you also do that. For example, people will say, Yes, I know that Muhammad ﷺ is the last messenger. Yes, I accept him as a last messenger. But his sunnah, I cannot follow it. I'm not going to do it. Is that complete iman? There's something deficient. Complete iman is what? That a person affirms the truthfulness, he accepts and he submits as well. This is what iman is. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says over here, الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ They believe in the unseen. What is ghaib? Ghaib is from the root letters ghayn ya ba. And ghaib literally is that which is hidden. That which is hidden, that which is absent, meaning it's not in front of you. It's not within the reach of your senses. You cannot see it, you cannot hear it, you cannot smell it, you cannot touch it, you cannot feel it. It's beyond your senses. This is what ghaib is. From the same root is the word ghiba. What does ghiba mean? Backbiting. Right? What does it mean by backbiting? That a person is absent. He is not there. And a person is talking bad about him. So you understand? He is ghaib. He is absent. He is not there. He is not there. And another person is talking bad about them. This is ghibah. So ghaib is what? That which is not in front of you. That which is hidden from you. Now remember that there are two types of ghaib. There are two types of ghayb, two types of unseen. One is ghayb that is mutlaq, meaning absolute. There is no way that we as human beings can ever see it, touch it, feel it. It's not possible. Like for example, the day of judgment. Or let's say jannah, hellfire. Is that part of the unseen? Is it part of the unseen? Yes, it is. Is there any way that while we are in this dunya, we see hellfire, we see Jannah. Is it possible? No. Okay, a person may have a dream while he's sleeping, but that also is based on what? Kind of his imagination. Alright? And the Prophet ﷺ, in his hadith, what do we learn about Jannah? What no eye has seen, no ear has heard its description even. Right? So it's completely hidden from people. Jannah is what? Part of the unseen. And that unseen, which is absolute unseen, there is no way that we can ever see it, touch it, feel it, come across it. Another type of ghaib is that which is nisbi, meaning that which is relative. Relative, what does it mean by that? Like for example, what is happening upstairs 
in one of the rooms. Can we see it? No. Can we hear what's going on over there? No. So, yes, that is unseen, hidden from us. But is it hidden from everybody? It's not hidden from everybody. For example, if you decide to go and check what's going on upstairs, can you go find out? Yes, you can. But if you decide to go and you say that, I'm going to go find out if there really is Jannah. Can you do that? You can't do that. So there's some parts of the unseen which you can come across, which you can prove, which you can see. But there's some parts of the unseen which you can never see until you're here in this world. When you die, yes, you can see it, you can come across it. So you understand what ghayb is? The two types of ghayb? Over here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ The muttaqeen are those people who believe in the unseen. What is this unseen? This unseen is everything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has informed us about and we cannot see it. We cannot hear it. Our senses cannot perceive them. You understand? So ghayb includes, for example... The existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For example, His angels. For example, the messengers that He sent in the past. That's also believing in the unseen. For example, in the Quran we learn, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the messenger Nuh alayhi salam. Is there any way that you could scientifically prove that? Can you? You can't. Allah is telling you, that's the only reason why you believe in it. That's the only reason why you accept it. Similarly, it includes whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us about the matters of the hereafter. From what's going to happen in the grave, to what's going to happen on the day of judgment, to what's going to happen in Jannah, what's going to happen in hellfire. Anything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us about, whether it's about Himself, or about certain events, or about certain individuals, or certain places, whatever that our senses cannot perceive, what is that? Ghayb, that is unseen. So muttaqeen are who? Alladheena yu'minuna bil ghaybi. Those people who believe in the unseen. Who believe in the unseen. In other words, they believe in whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told them about. Alladheena yu'minuna bil ghayb. Now tell me something. Why is it so important to believe in the unseen? Why is it so important to believe in the unseen? If a person says, no, I'm going to use my intellect. If I don't see something, I'm not going to believe in it. If I cannot hear something, I'm not going to believe in it. You have to prove it to me. If I see, because there are people who have said such things, we don't see God, I'm not going to believe in God. People say that. We don't see angels, prove that they're angels. How do you know there will be a day of judgment? So many people say that. So tell me, why is it important to believe in the unseen? If a person does not believe in the unseen, then what is he doing? He's challenging the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because what is ghayb? What Allah has informed us of. Allah says right at the beginning of the book, لا ريب There is no doubt in this book. So if a person says, no, these angels, I cannot see them, I'm not going to believe in them. This is what? Challenging the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why else is it necessary to believe in the unseen? But it gives your life a meaning, a purpose. If you think about it, human beings... By nature, how are we? Curious. We want to know how and why things happen. Children, when they're very small, what do they ask? What is this? As they grow older, they say, why is this so? My son, he's two and a half years old, and these days, everything is why. Why? Why? Everything is why. So 
So as human beings, we're like this. If we're curious about how an apple can fall from a tree, what is it that causes the apple to fall to the ground from a tree? If we're curious about how plants can grow, if we are curious about how you know the day and the night come in rotation, then are we not concerned about where we came from, where we're going? Why we are here? Of course we are. This is within every human being. This is in the nature of people. Why am I here? What's my purpose? Why am I alive? Where did I come from? Where am I going? So these questions cannot just be answered by our brain. They cannot be answered just by our intellect or just by our research. You need the guidance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So these questions, they're answered by what? By ghaib. You are here because Allah created you. You are here because you have to worship Allah. And where are you going? What's your end? The hereafter. And what's that for? For recompense. So these answers, can you get them from your intellect? You cannot get them from your intellect. This is why it's necessary to believe in the unseen. الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ Any other reason why it's necessary to believe in the unseen? Ghayb is the foundation of faith. It's the foundation of iman. If a person does not believe in the unseen, then he doesn't have any iman. Because think about it. Quran. We believe that this is the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the Quran has been revealed by Allah on the Prophet sallallahu If a person does not believe in the concept of wahi, wahi is also, revelation is also part of the unseen. If a person does not believe in that, then he won't believe in the Quran. If a person does not believe in the unseen, he doesn't have any faith. It's the foundation of iman. Without iman, without ghayb, there is no iman. This is why we see الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ That's the first characteristic that's mentioned over here. Another very important reason why it's necessary to believe in the unseen is that it's the foundation of taqwa as well. It's the foundation of taqwa. Belief in the unseen. How? For example... Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that whatever we do, whatever we utter, there are two angels who are recording everything. Do we see those angels? No, we don't see those angels. If we were to see those angels who are recording everything, would we be careful? Yes, we would be careful, obviously. Is that a big deal? No. This is just like if there's a camera on you, obviously you become very careful and alert, isn't it? But the moment that camera is away, you're like normal. Now, we don't see the angels. We don't see the angels. But we believe that the angels are recording. Right? And this is what makes us careful, conscious about our actions, about our words, about our behavior. So what is the root of taqwa, the foundation of taqwa? Belief in the unseen. Similarly, the day of judgment. Have you seen it? No. Has anybody seen the Day of Judgment here? No. We haven't seen it. It will be in the future. But because a person believes in the Day of Judgment, does he become careful about his actions? Yes. Does he become a more responsible person? Yes. So, the muttaqeen, how does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describe them? First of all, الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ Those who believe in the unseen. Secondly, وَيُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَاةَ And they establish the salah. Yuqimuna is from the root letters qaf, waw, meem. Qaf, waw, meem. And qama yuqumu literally is to stand. From the same root is the word qiyam. What does qiyam mean? Have you done qiyamul layl? 
What is Qiyamul Layl? The Salah that we pray when? In the night. Like for example, in the month of Ramadan, in the masjid, people go at night. And what do they do? Qiyamul Layl. They're going to pray Salah at night. So Salah, in other words, is called Qiyam as well. Especially that which we perform in the night of the month of Ramadan. Why? Because what's the main thing that we're doing? We're standing in prayer. We're standing in prayer and we're reciting the Qur'an. So Qiyam is to stand. Qawma yaqumu to stand. Iqama, from which is the word yuqimuna. Iqama is to make something stand. To make something upright. To establish something. You understand? Iqama is to establish something. To make something else stand. To make something upright. So what do they set right? What do they make upright? As-salata. The salah. What does salah mean? Are you familiar with the word salah? What does salah mean? Prayer. Which prayer? Just like, you know, you raise up your hands and you pray to God. Is that what salah is? This is dua. When you raise your hands and you just make prayer, what's that? Dua. What is salah? It's different from dua. Salah is the ritual prayer, which is performed in a particular way. Because some people say, oh, look at the word salah, it means prayer. So they just pray to God. No, that's not what the meaning is. Salat is the ritual prayer. Like for example, the five daily prayers. Or for example, the Eid prayer. Or for example, the Janazah prayer, the Jumu'ah Salah. Salah includes all of these different salawat. Whether it's the five daily prayers, the Jumu'ah one, or the Eid one, Janazah, any prayer that the Prophet ﷺ has taught us. So over here Allah says, يُقِيمُونَ salata. What does it mean by making the Salah upright? What do you think? Establishing the salah. When you make something upright, when you make something stand, what does it mean by that? That you're fixing it. You're putting it as it should be. For example, if this stand is lying on the ground, is this iqama? No. But if I pick it up and I put it upright, then I'm putting it as it should be. Isn't it so? So iqama to salah is to establish the salah, to give the due of the salah, to give the haq of the salah, to pray salah as it should be prayed, to pray salah as the Prophet ﷺ taught us to pray. What did he say? Sallu kama ra'aytumuni usalli. Pray as you see me praying. So iqamatu salah is not just to pray whenever a person feels like, pray however a person feels like. No. Iqamatu salah is to pray in the way that the Prophet ﷺ taught, the way that salah should be prayed. And in particular, iqamatu salah includes four things. Iqamatu salah includes four things. First of all, iqamatu salah includes performing the salah regularly, with consistency. Not one here, one there, four a day, three a day, no. Regularly, consistently. Five times a day. This is what iqamatu salah is, first of all. Secondly, iqamatu salah includes performing the salah in the prescribed times as well. In the prescribed time. We know that for every salah, there is a certain time. A time when time of the salah enters and the time when the time of the salah comes to an end. If you pray after that, your salah is qada. If you pray before that time, it's also not valid. So, there is a particular window for every salah. 
اقامت الصلاة is to pray within that window. Not delaying it. You understand? Thirdly, اقامت الصلاة is to perform the salah in the prescribed way as well. In the prescribed manner as well. What does it mean by that? When you think about the way of salah, the particular manners of salah, remember that there are certain prerequisites and then there are certain conditions and pillars as well. Like for example, if a person does not perform wudu, I'm too tired, too lazy, can't be bothered performing wudu, it's too cold anyway, and they pray. Is that iqamatu salah? No. If a girl says, I can't be bothered wearing a proper hijab, and her hijab is see-through, her hair is showing, or let's say she's wearing sleeves that are short, so her arms are showing, or let's say her clothes are short, her shirt is short, so when she bends down, the shirt lifts slightly, she doesn't bother to wear proper clothing for salah, will that salah be iqamatu salah? No. You have to fulfill all the conditions, all the prerequisites as well. Similarly, facing the qibla. Is that a condition? Yes. If a person says, yeah, the qibla is this way, but it's more convenient to pray this way. Can you do that? No. Fulfilling the conditions, the prerequisites, as well as the pillars of salah. What does it mean by the pillars of salah? That the major parts of salah that must be performed. And if they're not performed, salah is invalid. For example, when it comes to the recitation of Surah Al-Fatiha in salah, is that mandatory? Yes, if a person does not recite Surah Al-Fatiha, his rak'ah is not valid. Similarly, if a person says, I can't be bothered doing the ruku'ah. Forget it. I'll just skip the ruku'ah, I'll go down to sajda. He said, salah, iqamat al-salah? No way. Is that valid? No way. So, iqamat al-salah includes all of this. And fourthly, iqamat al-salah also includes performing salah in congregation, in jama'ah. Now, does it mean that for every salah a person has to pray in jama'ah? What if a person is alone? It's not a requirement. But perfectly establishing the salah means performing the salah in congregation, especially when there is a jama'ah going on. Like for example, we are here when salat al-zuhr is prayed. We hear the adhan. So if we are here, what are we to do? Pray in congregation. You want to let me just pray quickly myself because I want to go eat? Uh, no, you're not going to pray quickly yourself. You have to pray in the jama'ah. Alright? And this is especially for men. Especially for men that they should pray in congregation. So, وَيُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَاةَ And they establish the salah. Now think about it. إِقَامَةُ الصَّلَاةَ Performing the salah properly, giving it its due, praying it with the proper etiquette. This is a part of taqwa. Who will do this? A person who has taqwa. Who will perform salah properly? A person who wants to save himself from the punishment of Allah. A person who wants to be saved in the hereafter. He will give importance to salah. If you think about it, all these four points that I've told you about establishing the salah, what do they tell us? That a person is serious about prayer. He gives importance to prayer. Because a person who is not that serious about salah, is he going to bother praying in Jama'ah? No. A person who does not give much importance to salah, is he going to pray salah at the proper time? No. He is going to give preference to his sleep or he is going to give preference to whatever he is doing instead of salah. So who gives importance to salah? The person who has taqwa. Is it important to give importance to salah? Yes. Why? 
Because if a person does not give importance to salah, that means he does not have taqwa. If he doesn't have taqwa, what does that mean? He's not going to benefit from the Qur'an. So if we want to benefit from the Qur'an, if we want to make this journey meaningful, then what do we have to pay attention to? Our prayer. Because prayer, what is it? If you think about it, who are you talking to? Who are you bowing yourself before? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's the manifestation of one's iman. A person says, Allah, I believe in you. Allah, I fear you. Allah, iyyaka na'budu wa iyyaka nasta'een. And when it comes to submitting before Allah, too tired. I'm too busy. Can't be bothered. No. There's a discrepancy then. There's a huge discrepancy between what a person is saying and what he's doing. If you say, إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ Then you better show it. How are you going to show it? By giving importance to salah. Praying the salah as it should be prayed, when it should be prayed. So, وَيُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَاةَ Third quality. وَمِمَّا رَزَقْنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ مِمَّا Is a combination of min and ma. From what? رَزَقْنَاهُمْ We have provided them. رَزَقْنَاهُمْ is from the root letters رَزَيْقَ from the word رِزْق. And what's the translation of the word رِزْق? How do you translate it? Provision. What is رِزْق? What is provision? رِزْق is everything that is a source of man's spiritual or physical sustenance. Everything that is a source of man's spiritual or physical sustenance. You understand? Like for example... Can you think of an example of what comes in risk? Wealth, money, children, food, health. What else? Knowledge. Because knowledge is spiritual sustenance, security, safety, peace of mind. If a person is living in a place where there's famine or where there's war, is he missing something? Yes. He doesn't have that spiritual sustenance. Right? So... Risk includes material things as well as non-material blessings. Alright? It includes material as well as non-material blessings. So, وَمِمَّا رَزَقْنَاهُمْ Allah says, out of what we have provided them. So, everything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to a person. What does this person do? What does a muttaqi do? يُنْفِقُونَ They spend. يُنْفِقُونَ is from the root letters. نُونْ فَاقَّافْ And infaq is to spend, to give. What does it mean? To spend. So, وَمِمَّا رَزَقْنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ Who are the muttaqeen? They spend out of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has provided them. What does this show to us first of all? That, who is our provider? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Anything and everything we have, whether it's health, or it's time, or it is knowledge, or it is money, or it is a body that we use, friends, the opportunities that we have in our life, all of this is what? Provision. And who has given it to us? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have not acquired it ourselves. A person might say, I have this because I put in effort for it. Yes, alhamdulillah. You put in effort and Allah facilitated that for you. You put in the effort and the time and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enabled you to have it. So many people put in effort, but do they actually get what they want? Not every time. So who is the provider? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So وَمِمَّا رَزَقْنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ What is it that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has provided us? Anything and everything that we have. What does the muttaqi do with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given him? Does he just keep it to himself? Is he selfish? No. A muttaqi is one who gives, 
who shares. He is not just concerned about himself. He is not selfish. Rather, he cares about other people. He doesn't hoard, but rather he gives. He shares. وَمِمَّا رُزَقْنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ Now tell me something. What is it that we are to spend? What is it that we should spend? Should we spend everything we have? No. What does it mean by وَمِمَّا رُزَقْنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ This is understood in two ways. The word min has been understood in two ways over here. First of all, min gives the meaning of sum of. So whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has provided them, some of it, they spend in the way of Allah. Some of it, they spend. Not everything, but some of it. And how much is it? Depending on what they can afford, depending on what's easy for them, depending on what their budget allows, what their time allows, what their situation in life allows. Alright? This is one meaning. Another meaning of min is that it gives a meaning of all of it. And in grammar, you call this min, min of bayan, those of you who would like to know. So then it means, That what we have provided them, they spend. What we have provided them, they spend. Like for example, Abu Bakr anhu, at the time of the expedition to Tabuk. Does anyone know how much he spent at that time? How much he brought? Everything he had. That was a time when Umar who brought half of his entire possessions. And he thought, today I'm going to beat Abu Bakr. And he gets there and he finds Abu Bakr has brought everything he has. Abu Bakr what he did at that time, was that wrong? No. Why did he bring everything then? Why did he spend everything then? Because that is what the situation demanded. Like for example, let's say a person's child becomes extremely ill. At that time, what do you think they're going to spend? Anything and everything if necessary. The mother will perhaps sell her gold jewelry. The father will take out all the money from his savings account. In crisis situations, what do you take out? Anything and everything. People will sell their house even. They will sell their car. They will go down on their day-to-day expenses. Why? Because the situation demands them to spend a lot. Alright? So, وَمِمَّا رُزَقْنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ Out of what we have provided them, they spend. So, for example, a person might say that, why are you studying? You think this is mandatory? You think this is important? You could just go to a weekly dars. Why do you have to go twice a week, on the weekends, in the morning? So, is it necessary? Yes. The situation demands this from us. It's about time we study the Qur'an. All our lives we have been saying, yes, I want to study the Qur'an, yes, I want to study the Qur'an. But it's about time that we take this work seriously. So it's possible that for one person, what's easier is, what their situation allows is that they go to a weekly halaqa. But a person who wants to become serious like you, you have to come on your weekends. And there are other people who perhaps have to come during the week. So وَمِمَّا رَزَقْنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ Because when we come here, the fees that we pay, the money that we spend on the gas, the money that we spend on our lunches, the money that we spend on our books, on our uniform, even that is what? Spending in the way of Allah. You understand? Even for the spending is reward. A muttaqi will give preference to spending in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So وَمِمَّا رَزَقْنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ And remember that وَمِمَّا رَزَقْنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ This includes three things in particular. Out of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has provided us, we should spend. This includes three things. First of all, that a person must give zakat wajibah. Zakat wajibah, meaning the mandatory zakat. That's also a part of spending. 
they give zakat. Secondly, sadaqat mustahabba, the preferred charity, meaning where a person is encouraged to give charity. For example, where are we encouraged to give charity? For example, on the poor and the needy, who else? On orphans, who else? Where else? Masjid. Helping a masjid, an institute, for example, that is working to promote the knowledge of the deen, that's serving the community. This is all what's spending in the way of Allah. Alright? And thirdly, this also includes the nafaqat that are lazima, meaning the mandatory expenditures. For example, as a father, a man is obligated to spend on who? On his family, on his wife, on his children. He should not think, oh, what a waste of money. I could have bought, you know, this car by now if I had been saving all that money. Too bad I have to buy diapers for my children. All this money goes in diapers and all this money goes in their clothes. Every other month we're going shopping for their clothes. This is not right. I could have bought this and this and this by now. He should not feel bad. Why? Because it's an obligation on him to spend. And for the spending also he gets reward. Remember that hadith in which the Prophet ﷺ said that a man, if he puts a morsel of food in the mouth of his wife, even that is written as charity for him. So, وَمِمَّا رُزَقْنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ Now connect this with taqwa. When will a person give zakat? When he is afraid of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When he is careful. When he wants to save himself from the punishment of Allah. Because those who do not give zakat, who hoard their wealth, who do not give the right of Allah from it, who do not give the right of poor from it, there is a severe punishment for them on the Day of Judgment. In Surah Tawbah we learn about that. That on the day when the gold and the silver that they hoarded, it will be melted and it will be branded on top of them. Just imagine molten gold, silver, and it's put on the forehead of a person, the back of a person. Just imagine how bad it would burn. This is the punishment for who? Those who do not give zakat. So a person who wants to save himself from this punishment, he has taqwa, what will he do? He will give zakat. Because if you think about it, when it comes to paying taxes, can you avoid that in this country? You can't. How can you? But paying zakat, can you avoid that in this country? Easily. Which imam of the masjid is going to come after you? Brother, you give zakat. Sister, you give zakat. Who's going to do that to you? No one. So what is it that's going to make a person give zakat on time properly? Fear of Allah. Similarly, what is it that will make a person spend in the way of Allah? Spend on the poor and the needy. Spend on the masajid. Spend on those people who are striving to learn. Or for example, sponsoring books somewhere. When will a person do this? When he has fear of Allah. And when will he spend on his family, on his children, wherever he is required to spend? When he has a fear of Allah. So, وَمِمَّا رَزَقْنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ now, if you look at the sayah from the beginning, what do you see? Three characteristics of muttaqeen. First of all, that they believe in the unseen. Secondly, they establish the salah. And thirdly, they spend out of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has provided them. What does this ayah show to us? The importance of, first of all, belief in the unseen. Secondly, the importance of salah. And thirdly, the importance of Spending in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now as far as the importance of performing salah is concerned, the importance of salah, as far as that is concerned, there is a hadith from which we learn that a man once came to the masjid and he prayed salah. And then he went to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and he greeted him. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa responded to his greeting 
and he said irji fasalli fa innaka lam tusalli go and repeat your salah because you did not pray properly so he went and he prayed again and he came to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam greeted him the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said the same thing to him so he went and prayed again and this happened three times so finally the man came and he said teach me how to pray then i don't know how to pray so the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam told him that when you pray make sure that you stand still in the sense that when you're going to rukur don't get up from rukur until you have become stable there once you become stable there once you've paused there then move then stand up and then don't just quickly go down into sajda until you have come to a stationary point and then again don't lift up your head from sajda until you have become stable over there so this shows to us that if a person does not perform the salah properly it's as though his salah is not valid isn't that scary if a person does not perform salah properly it's as though his salah is not valid so we have to be very careful that when we're praying salah we are focused first of all our mind and heart should be present we should have khushur we should be able to concentrate have fear of allah know what we're saying and then performing the salah properly as well the way the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam prayed and especially this element of tamanina of being still of being calm during salah this is very very important because unfortunately we go through salah very quickly sometimes it's as though we are speeding through salah running through salah a person has barely touched the ground in sujood that they're up they barely sat up that they're down they barely gone down in rukur that they're standing up so we have to become very careful in this from this point onwards pay attention to your salah who will pay attention to his salah the one who has taqwa the third quality is that they spend out of what they have given whatever allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has provided them they spend in surah al-furqan ayah 67 we learn walladhina idha anfaqu lam yusrifu wa lam yaqtur wa kana bayna dhalika qawama that there are those who when they spend they do not do so excessively or sparingly meaning they don't go to extremes that all oh, they became very emotional whatever money i have let me just put it in the donation box and then they have nothing left or sparingly meaning being very stingy in the sense that yeah i have this much money but i have to buy that jacket for myself so i'm saving this money right now too bad i cannot give these 2 dollars over here this is not the way of a muttaqi person a muttaqi person is moderate is moderate in his spending he sees where the need is and he spends over there more qualities walladhina yu'minuna bima unzila ilayka same words they believe in that which has been revealed to you unzila is new unzila is from the root letters nun zai lam and nazala is to come down right and tanzil inzal it's used for revelation because revelation also comes down from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the messenger so they believe in that which was revealed to you What was revealed to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam? By the way, you over here, who does it refer to? The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So, what was revealed on the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam? The Quran. So they believe in the Quran. But remember that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he was given two things. First of all, the Quran, which is wahi, revelation that is matlu, that is recited. And secondly he was also given wahi that is ghair matlu revelation that is not recited meaning he was also given certain instructions that are not in the Quran but he was actually given those instructions like for example we learned that in the Quran Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us about performing salah we just read it 
But is a method of salah, is it mentioned in the Quran? No. Who taught us how to pray? The Prophet ﷺ. Where did he learn how to pray from? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught him. So, bima unzira ilayka includes everything that the Messenger ﷺ told us about. Because wa ma yantiqu anil hawa, he would not speak out of his own desire. He would not speak out of his own whims. So, وَالَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْكَ وَمَا أُنزِلَ مِنْ قَبْلِكَ And they also believe in what was revealed before you. Meaning they also believe in the scriptures that were revealed before the Qur'an. Like for example, the Torah, the Zabur, the Injil. Similarly, the Suhuf of Ibrahim salam. We learn in the Qur'an, Suhufi Ibrahim wa Musa. So, the scriptures that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed before the Qur'an. Some Allah has informed us about their names, who they were given to. But it's quite possible that there are other scriptures that we do not even have any idea about. We don't know their name, we don't know which messenger was given it. But a muttaqi person, what does he do? He believes in everything that Allah has revealed. Now tell me, what does it mean by believing in the Qur'an? Okay, believing in what it says and also following it. right? What does it mean by believing in the previous scriptures? What does that require you to do? What does that faith require you to do? That you also follow the previous scriptures? No. Believing in the previous scriptures means that we believe that Allah sent them down. Allah revealed them for the guidance of mankind. That Allah always sent guidance to people. So, وَالَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْكَ وَمَا أُنزِلَ مِنْ قَبْلِكَ And the final characteristic that is mentioned over here is وَبِالْآخِرَةِ هُمْ يُقِنُونَ And they believe in the hereafter with conviction. Al-Akhirah is from the root letters Hamza Khara. Al-Akhirah is that which will come at the end. And technically, Akhirah is what? Hereafter. What does it mean by the hereafter? It includes everything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has informed us about that will happen from the moment of death until eternity in Jannah or Hellfire. This is what Akhirah includes. So for example, it includes the test in the grave. We know that each and every single one of us, when we will die, when we are in our graves, then what's going to happen? What's going to happen? The angels are going to appear and they're going to ask us, Man Rabbuk? Man Nabiyuk? Ma Dinuk? These questions they're going to ask us. So, believing in the hereafter includes believing in the test that will happen in the grave. Believing in the hereafter includes believing in the blowing of the trumpet, the day of judgment, the hisab, the questioning. The going over the bridge, the sirat, the scales on the day of judgment. It means that a person believes that there is jannah, that there is hellfire. There is eternity in jannah, there is eternity in hellfire. So, bil akhirati hum yuqinun. Notice the word yuqinun. It's not just yu'minun. This is different. Yuqinun is from yaqaf noon, from the word yaqeen. And yaqeen is the highest level of faith. The highest level of faith. Faith at the level of conviction free of any doubt. There's not even a little amount of doubt. Absolute conviction. So notice for the hereafter, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, they have certainty. It hasn't been said, وَبِلْ أَخِرَتِهُمْ يُؤْمِنُونَ What has been said, وَبِلْ أَخِرَتِهُمْ يُقِنُونَ Why is yaqeen mentioned for the hereafter? Because only when a person has yaqeen in the hereafter, conviction, he sees the events of the hereafter as real. He believes that it will happen. Only then can it change him. Only then can a person change his ways. Only then can a person be a muttaqi. 
Because if a person has weak faith in the hereafter, in the day of judgment, then what will happen? He won't be as careful. If he thinks, yeah, we'll see when the day of judgment comes. Let me just enjoy myself for now. Yeah, I'll see when the day of judgment comes. I know that the first question is going to be about salah. But yeah, you know, something might happen and you never know. I might be saved. Is he going to be careful about how he's performing his salah? No. What's going to fix a person's salah? Yaqeen in the hereafter. Certainty in the hereafter. That I will be questioned about my prayer. I will be questioned about my money. I will be questioned about my time. What did I do with it? How did I live my life? So when a person has yaqeen, this is what drives him to change. This is what motivates him to do something. This is what keeps him afraid. This is what keeps him alert. This is what keeps him conscious. وَبِالْآخِرَةِهُمْ يُقِنُونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أُولَٰئِكَ It is those people. أُولَٰئِكَ is the plural of ذَٰلِكَ Earlier in the surah, what did we learn? ذَٰلِكَ الْكِتَابِ ذَٰلِكَ that. أُولَٰئِكَ those. And just as ذَٰلِكَ is used to point out to that which is far or high, similarly, أُولَٰئِكَ those is used for those people who are far or or high, elevated in their status, in their position. So people who have these qualities, who are muttaqeen, Allah says, those people, those, who are they? Allah, they are upon, hudam min rabbihim, guidance from their Lord. These are the people who are on guidance. In Surah Al-Fatiha, what dua do we make? Ihdina sirat al-mustaqeem. Allah says, the person who has these qualities, he is upon guidance. Definitely he is rightly guided. Definitely he is received of guidance from the Qur'an. عَلَىٰ هُدَمْ مِنْ رَبِّهِمْ وَأُولَٰئِكَ And those whom they الْمُفْلِحُونَ Those who are successful. مُفْلِحُونَ is a plural of مُفْلِح And it's from the root letters فَلَامْحَ فَلَاح is success. From the same root is a word that is فَلَاح And فَلَاح is used for a farmer. Farmer. Think about a farmer. What does he do? Cultivates how? First of all, he has to prepare the ground. Then he has to put the seed in. Can he take a one-month vacation then? No. What does he have to do? Look after the plant. Look after his crop. And he has to make sure that they're growing properly. He has to make sure that there's nothing that's harming them. And he has to go outside in extreme heat. So this entire process of farming requires a lot from a person, a lot of effort. And then eventually, what does he find? The fruit of his effort. So muflihun are who? Successful. How are they successful? Just by luck? Just by chance? Who are muflihun? Those who have put in the effort, who have actually done something. And when they've done something, then they reap the fruit. So ulaika humul muflihun. What does it show to us? That success cannot be attained just by chance. Success is attained how? By hard work. And what is the work that we need to do in order to be successful in this world and the hereafter? The things that are mentioned in these ayat. What are they? First of all, taqwa. Secondly, iman and ghaib. And the list you're familiar with, salah, spending in the way of Allah, correct belief, belief in the hereafter. All of this is what leads to success. And you see over here, ulaika ala hudam min rabbihim. Ala is to be on something, upon something. So they're upon guidance. And when they're upon guidance, where will they get to? wherever guidance leads them to. It's like a person who is on a ship. Where will he end up? Wherever that ship takes him. So when a person is on Huda, where will he end up? Wherever that Huda takes him. And what is that? 
success in this dunya and the hereafter. And what is real success? Real success is that a person is saved from the punishment and he is admitted into paradise. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, whoever is saved from the punishment of hellfire and is admitted into paradise, that is a person who has truly been successful. Successful is not a person who has become a multimillionaire in this dunya, who has a very happy family in this dunya, who has a lot of free time, a lot of time to watch movies and enjoy eating popcorn. No, this is not a successful person. Successful person is who? The one who has everything in this dunya? No. The one who has everything in the hereafter. And that's not possible until a person gets to Jannah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make all of us of those who are, who are muflihoon. We listen to the recitation of these ayahs. الكتاب لا ريب فيه هدى للمتقين الذين يؤمنون بالغيب ويقيمون الصلاة ومما رزقناهم ينفقون والذين يؤمنون بما أنزل إليك وما وَبِالْآخِرَتِهُمْ يُوقِنُونَ أُولَئِكَ عَلَى هُدًى مِّن رَّبِّهِمْ وَأُولَئِكَ هُمُ الْمُفْلِحُونَ It's amazing how in Surah Al-Fatiha Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teaches us a beautiful dua اِهْدِنَا الصِّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ صِرَاطَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ and in this surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that who gets huda? Muttaqeen. And in order to be that, you have to follow these steps. So it's beautiful how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives guidance. That He doesn't just tell us what success is, but He tells us how to get there as well. Every little thing from faith to rituals to interaction with other people. Because if you think about it, prayer, what does that show? Connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Spending, what does that show? Your connection with the rest of the people. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides us through every single step. And remember, I told you the meaning of hidayah is to show the way, point out the way, and then make a person go on the way and make them reach the destination. This is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives guidance. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give all of us hidayah. Hidayah ilm as well as hidayah of amal. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu alayhi.